0: Is
1: this your first time here, George? It is, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I started sitting again. So I've been sitting off and on since 98. And um, I don't know, I I basically stopped like two years ago. And then for whatever reason decided the only thing that I had yet to really accomplish was just to sit daily, simply. I never really did that. I always sat with a purpose of awakening. So now I'm just, I don't know, enjoying stage one, <laughs> just hanging out.
0: I think that's the best thing to enjoy. George, George, were you in? Were you with uh, in Barrie in November?
1: Uh, I was, I think, uh, the Chulajasa five day, right?
0: I, I was there. I recognize you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hi.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't, uh, who's the other one that was there? You don't get a lot of teachers who go through the stages of spiritual development at Barry or IMS, so it was a treat to have Chula Dasa there, one of the reasons I went, because I think it's important information to have if you're going to meditate. So how are you doing?
2: Me? Uh, Great. Sure. (laughs) And Ted, hi, I wanted to let you know, I do have to leave a little early today, folks, so I'm not being rude, I just have to address something.
3: I'm shocked, shocked. (laughs) So uh, I will use that as a segue to to get us a little bit started here. Um, Welcome to the Saturday Morning Meditation Meetup. Um, We've been getting uh, slightly larger numbers recently, and so uh, that's Andrea. Um, (laughs) So... uh, Uh, I'm going to suggest that uh, folks uh, who want to say something or ask a question or make a comment, uh, raise their hands using the the participants user interface. Uh, If you go over to, uh, if you click down at the bottom, um, I actually don't know what the user interface says if you're not the host, but for me it says manage participants, it's to the right of invite. And if you click on that, um, you should be able to find a way to raise your hand in that user interface. Um, Can you guys just try that to make sure that everybody knows how to do it? (laughs) Andrea knows. I'm seeing lots of hands pop up and pop down, so that's good, it looks like people are getting it. Great, so... um, so if you if you would like to, now th- there's a slight problem here, which is that we could have like somebody raise their hand because they want to raise something, and then um, somebody wants to make a comment about that, and then uh, differentiating between those two different hand raises is, is challenging. So um, I'm not entirely sure what to do about that, but I'd suggest like if you want to say something, I tend to be watching the screen and I notice people's body language, and so I'll probably just call on you if you look like you want to say something. Um, So that said, uh, I am recording this. If you want to ask a question or make a comment that you would like to not be recorded, you can either uh, chat me or just say so, and I will turn off the recording until you're done talking or until we're done uh, answering your question. Um, But it's great to be able to share this stuff. I'm I'm putting this up as a podcast now, and, and it seems like people are getting some benefit from that. There are some people who'd really like to be here. On the meetup, but just don't aren't able to be here at this time, and they still benefit from being able to hear our discussions. So, um, anyway, uh, uh, I'd say if people could, if people want to say something, maybe raise your hand. Um, so uh, it's Christine, right? Yeah. Um, if if you if you have something you'd like to raise, please please do because if you if you're going to be leaving. Uh, early then no sure I don't mind honest <laughs> okay all right um, so uh, then if folks if somebody wants to to raise something uh, please click the raise your hand button and I will call on you well this was a short meetup it's been great seeing you guys Seriously, nobody wants to raise their okay, yeah, right, here we go. John
2: Hi. Yeah. Um I actually wanted to wait with raising my hand. Because I'm usually talking uh, in a session. So I want to give some people space to talk. But That's okay, we like you. Um so my practice has been interesting. Um I I'm still doing the jhanas, uh the pleasure jhanas. Uh, which was going great, um, but at the uh, beginning of the week, for two days, I had like um, more like a static pity throughout my body every time I sat down, and um, anger and frustration came up, up during my sits, which was um, interesting. I um, reread uh, stage four, what to do with that, and applied that. So it's like acknowledging, accepting uh stuff like that, uh, then it became better, but then um when it became better, the next night, I woke up in the middle of the night with like uh flowing pit throughout my body which um, just uh, very comfortable in the beginning um but um so I was laying in bed I couldn't sleep with it. <laughs> And then I got up um, because, yeah, it was just um, a lot being there. Yeah, a lot. So I did um, an hour of meditation in the middle of the night. Um, and I managed to reach the jhanas pretty quickly, um, which was nice. So I could go to a higher jhanas and then the pity calmed down mm-hmm. and I could sleep again. The next day, however, I was a bit like tired and uh, was still a bit around there so um, because of that I had the feeling that the, the like the following days my energy was high but my concentration was low so um, I yeah I, I got the feeling that I um, and sometimes I, I had the feeling that uh, I couldn't really reach excess concentration but it was easier for me to focus on the pity sensations I'm not sure if that's right or okay or legit Um, I was wondering that and I was also wondering what to do when you have like these pity manifestations of cushion Um, yeah just being there
3: so uh, I was interested to hear you say that you went back and reread uh, the chapter on stage four Um, you might want to read the chapter on stage eight um, particularly if you look at page, I don't know if you have the physical book or if you just read it in a book, ebook format, but if you have the physical book, um, if you don't have the physical book, look for the heading, unifying the mind, pacifying the senses and the arising of meditative joy. That's on page 309. Um, and that really talks about a lot of the stuff that you're describing here in particular, uh, on page 311, there's a, there's a subheading called unusual sensations, which, uh, is talking about the, the thing that you just... I think that is talking about the thing that you just described where you were having this sort of very staticky uh, pity experience. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, as for taking uh pity as the object, um, I'm I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing or a good thing. I think if, if you, if, if, if you do it and it works, that's fine. Uh, your other option is to just say, oh, I have an opportunity to practice in this place where I'm having trouble uh, having stable attention. Uh, maybe it's worth practicing in this place and seeing, seeing if I can have stable attention when it's this hard. Um, I'm not saying that you should do either one of those things. I would just suggest that you explore both of them. Uh, like, see what happens if you take pity as the object. Does it does it work? Do you get interesting results, or does it just feel like it's a sidetrack? Um, and then also uh, definitely see if you can uh, use the situation where you're having trouble stabilizing your attention to get better at stabilizing your attention. Okay. Because I mean, you know, the, the 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 way practice goes, right? Is that is that um, you know, we, we have these times when practice is going really well and we get really great results. And, um, and we tend to think that like, uh, you know, that's the goal, but really that's just, that's, I mean, in a sense, it's the goal, it's the fruit on the tree, right? But you still need to grow the tree. And, um, so if the tree is only fruiting, you know, at certain times, you know, and other times it's not fruiting, then, then maybe there's a way to, to, you know give it better sun or better shade or whatever and then it'll fruit better so you know it's you can still you can still work on the tree you don't you don't always have to be picking the fruit
2: mm. yeah all right yeah i also added like at the end of my sit, uh, like 10 minutes of meta mm. um just to to deal with it and um yeah it made it a lot better for with the frustration for example was like ah okay frustration mm-hmm. let's go yeah, this is uh, it's gonna be good. Yeah. So, um, yes. yeah, that that's that worked, bit. yeah, it, right. sounded like, it
3: sounded like um, sounded like you had a good attitude about the the challenges, but like the anger and stuff that was coming up, that you were treating it more objectively rather than being it, right? So, yeah. I
2: think, yeah,
3: I think you're doing the right thing there.
2: And it was also, I only had it in the set or during the set. Yeah, and it was really strong, and then I got out and I was like gone, and I was like yeah. fine, I was chill, yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, like,
3: yeah, that sounds like a stage seven purification,
2: hmm. right? So,
3: yay, uh, <laughs> okay, I don't see any other hands up. Does anybody else want to talk? If nobody wants to talk, this is going to be a short session. Up, oh, Oscar.
4: Yeah, hi. Um, hi. I read uh, your article, uh, Intend Release Notice. Uh huh. Right, just call it. Um, and as I said to you in a PM last week, uh, I thought I got it, but I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, so, could you explain a little bit about uh, the release part? I mean, uh, because to me, I mean, first you intend unless you keep the intention up, I mean, why would you even meditate at all? I mean, you have to have some intention, right? So what do you right. mean by releasing?
3: Yeah. So where's the intention coming from? I,
4: don't, I,
3: I, well,
4: don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how to explain.
3: Yeah. So you have, you, maybe you have some kind of visceral sense of where the intention is coming from, but it's a little difficult to express, but, um, but yeah, the, 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 uh, what you're trying, so in the early stages, you do kind of have to do this thing where you're holding on to the intention a bit, um, but the more you try to hold on to the intention, the more stressful the meditation gets, and, and that can create resistance. And then at some point, you, you need to get, you need to figure out what your real relationship to intentions is. And the reason, I I think I used a couple of examples with you uh, when I was talking to you on Reddit. Like, for example, you know, suppose you have a cup of coffee in front of you. Um, And, you know, your intention, the reason why you put the coffee, the reason why you made the cup of coffee and the reason why it's sitting on your desk in front of you is because you had an intention to drink a cup of coffee, right? Well, while you're sitting there at your desk, are you constantly thinking to yourself, I need to drink a cup of coffee? No, no. Right. But, uh, does that mean then that you just forget the cup of coffee?
4: No, but, but while I'm making it say uh, sure. then I have an intention in mind all the time that I'm, I'm making this cup of coffee and I'm, I'm not forgetting and walking away.
3: Sure. Sure. But, but so, so let's look at that. When you, when you, when you decide to make a cup of coffee, you're forming an intention to make a cup of coffee, right? And then you go and you make the cup of coffee and the yeah. whole time that you're making the cup of coffee, that intention is present, but you're not sitting there going, I got to make a cup of coffee. I got to make a cup of coffee. I got to make a cup of coffee. Right. You no. just have this intention. It's just sitting there. It's not, you're not doing anything. Right. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, but I'm not releasing the intention.
3: Mm. What I mean by releasing the intention is just not, Not not doing. I got to make a cup of coffee. I got to make a cup of coffee. I got to make a cup of coffee. You're just you. you decide to make the cup of coffee, and then you're making the cup of coffee. Okay. It's the same with meditating. You decide that you're going to put your attention on the breath, and then your attention is on the breath. And Mm. uh, you know, as as you may know from making a cup of coffee, right? Sometimes you Mm. intend to make a cup of coffee, and then and I'll I'll just describe my experience of making a (laughs) cup of coffee because maybe mine is unusual. But uh, in my experience of making a cup of coffee, uh, you know, there's, a, there can, you know, if the morning is quiet and there's nothing going on, then it just sort of happens, right? Because there's nothing, there's no competition. But, uh, but if there's a lot of stuff going on, then it's not that unusual that I might go downstairs and press the grind button on the grinder, but then I get distracted and I forget that I'm making a cup of coffee. And so like, you know, a couple of minutes later, I'm like, oh, right, I was gonna, I was making a cup of coffee. And you know the the coffee's still ground, and and so the intention at that point is has kind of submerged, right? Like the intention to make the cup of coffee submerged. And in fact, you could even say that it just went away entirely. Yeah. And and that the way that it came back was just that I noticed that it had gone, and I noticed that I was that I still hadn't made my cup of coffee, and so I reformed the intention to make a cup of coffee. But however you gloss that experience. Um, the point that I'm getting at when I say release is just uh, you're not constantly sitting there going, I'm gotta, I gotta make a cup of coffee, I gotta make a cup of coffee, I gotta make a cup of coffee. That's just not how we work. Like when you get in the car and you're gonna drive to work, you know, you get in the car, you have an intention to drive to work, you drive to work. Uh, you can have the experience of, you know, intending to drive somewhere other than work that you don't normally drive and then you find yourself driving to work because you forgot the intention to drive to that other place right? Okay. That can happen. I mean, this is how intentions work. Um, yeah. so, so this is the this exact same thing as what's going on when you're meditating. You're, you're intending to drive to this unusual place that you've never driven before. And it's at the same time that you normally drive to work. And so there's a tendency to automatically drive to work instead of driving to the other place. And you're just working with that intentional process so that you wind up at the other place and not at work.
2: Mm-hmm. And, yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. Is is, is this helping or is it? Yeah, yeah,
2: I think
4: I get it now. Okay, so you're not completely releasing it. You're just
3: no. You're not forgetting about it. You're just not. You're not doing any work to hold on to it. You're just allowing it to be there. And then if it if it goes away, because what you your goal is to set an intention at the beginning of the meditation to have um, stable attention and uh, awareness. Either introspective or extrospective, depending on the meditation, and so your your goal is to be able to set that intention. This is like stage ten, right? You set the intention, you sit down, and bam—that's what you're doing, and that just continues until the meditation's over. And you don't have to do any work at all to maintain that intention. That's the end goal. That's not what you're doing at stage four. At stage four, you have to do a little more work than that. But but that's the that's what you're trying to develop, and that's what releasing is.
2: Okay.
4: Uh, Yeah, thanks.
3: Sure. Okay, uh, looks like Carrie's got her hand up. Hey, Sam.
5: Okay,
3: hi. Hi.
6: So I have a question that is um, something that maybe I can get some help articulating this because it's something I've tried to explain to my buddies, um, in our small group meetings and of course I'm in and there might be a better way to articulate this, especially in terms of atten- attention, awareness, intentions and focus space and stuff. So, um, in stages two through four, I found one thing that I found very, very useful was um, instead of just trying to look for the sensation of the breaths at my nose, to actually just kind of step back a little bit, clear my brain of other stuff and then just basically what I what kind of feels like is direct some um it'd almost be like directing a field of vision in the direction of something I expect to see but in terms of sense and then just wait to see if the sensations appear kind of with the um perspective of they might or might not appear Mm-hmm. or I have no idea how they're going to appear or where they're going to appear, but they're just going to appear.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And so it's a strange combination of effort, meaning I have to set everything up, but it's very much not... The the only thing that targets the breath is actually the intention, but not the effort. And mm-hmm. I just don't know really how to describe that or if there's a better way to describe that. I think people that maybe are familiar with it can follow, but that's
3: really Yeah, I mean I I know exactly what you're talking about. I I have the exact same problem of articulating that. Um, I can I can tell you what I say and maybe it'll help you and maybe it won't. I don't know. But what I say about that and also, you know, when you hear me say it, you may say no that's not what I'm talking about. So that's fine too. (laughs) Okay. Good
6: point. um, Yes. Right.
3: But, um, but assuming that, it, that I know what you're talking about, which I sort of think I do, um, what, the way that I describe that is uh, there are kind of two modes that, that, that uh, we tend to use for putting our attention on the breath. And one of them is that we kind of push our attention at the breath. So we know we have this mental image of where the breath is and this mental image of attention and we push our attention at the mental image of the breath. The problem with that is that um, the me- the mental image of the breath is not the breath, um, and and when I say the mental image of the breath, what I really mean is a mental image of where the breath is, where we're going to experience it. Right. So we have this idea of locality, and we're we're going to kind of put attention on it, and um, often that doesn't work very well, and it's also stressful. So what you're describing, I think, is so the the way I would describe what you what you're suggesting to do is instead of pushing your attention at your idea of where the breath is, you just enter a receptive state and then you invite the breath to come to your attention. Um, or you, 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 uh, you just look for instances of the breath at the tip of the nose in awareness. Because really, that, you know, what attention is doing, attention is a search function, right? It's like, it's like mm-hmm. looking for something. And so if you put it on something, you have an intention to notice something, then it'll just sit there and sort through all the stuff that's going on in awareness and find the things that you're looking for, and, and those will be what's in attention. Yeah. Yeah. So does that help at all? That,
6: I, I love what you said about inviting the breath to come to your attention. That is extremely useful.
3: I feel very and smug so, about that.
6: Yeah, and that's um, that's kind of I think the most broad instruction to get someone where I want them to go without them knowing what it's yeah. a preconceived notion of what it's like. Yeah. Now I just out of my own curiosity's sake, um, this is very similar to. An, an analogy that I've had, and actually Andrea um, mentioned it, I think, really early on about bird watching. Um, how I'll just kind of look at a riverbank, kind of without, with, with awareness, but a very intent awareness for yep. birds to pop out. Like if there's a anything that's like a bird. And that, that also becomes really good about filtering out a rustling leaf versus a bird and things like that. And I'm wondering, is there any terminology for that? Because um, it, 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 it doesn't seem like the scanning attention, because the mm-hmm. scanning seems to be spontaneous. Right. Um, this is a very much intent awareness space or something. I don't know.
3: So that's a. I, I, I'm really. Uh, what you just said actually suggests to me why you why you've, uh, you know, had had some pretty good times with your meditation practice because you're you are a bird watcher, right? That's that's a thing you yes. like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, what you're describing is um, introspective awareness towards the outer world. Right? Okay. So, so, you know, in, uh, well, uh, that's not exactly right. So, so there's this like terminology issue, right? Like we've got extrospective awareness. So we have so we've got awareness, yes. extrospective awareness, introspective awareness, metacognitive introspective awareness. Yes. And you could say that metacognitive introspective awareness is something that you develop as a result of all of the mental habits that you form in the process of going through the stages of meditation, right? So. Mm-hmm. So metacognitive introspective awareness automatically notices distractions and releases them without you having to put your attention on them right so mm-hmm. you, and ultimately, you know it's just taken care of without you having to think about it um, and then automatically draws your your uh, your attention to uh, if you, if you've lost. Uh, the meditation object automatically yeah. draws your attention. So it's like watching. It's, it's a kind of a watchfulness that's happening in awareness, not in attention. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what you're describing with bird watching. You're sitting there, your yes. awareness is open. Stuff is happening. Lots of stuff is happening in awareness, but you've got this little bit of metacognition going on that's looking for a bird in awareness. Mm-hmm. It's not your attention. It's just an unconscious process that's filtering through awareness, looking for bird. And like attention. Yeah, it's an it's an intention, and whenever, but it's it's like a whole intentional process. But whenever yes. it notices, whenever whenever it recognizes something that that it can't tell isn't a bird, then it asks attention to go look at that and see if it's a bird. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you're bird watching and you're sitting there at the riverbank and your awareness is wide open. When you notice attention going to something, that's because that process worked.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Especially if when you notice your attention goes to a bird and doesn't go to the leaf. Because you're, yeah. you're, you're, you've trained yourself well enough that you know a leaf is not a bird. Like in, yeah. in awareness, you don't have to put your attention on it to know that it's not a bird. So, and I mean, what you're describing is really actually kind of a big part of how the mind functions in general. Like all of the object recognition that you do is like this. Every time, like... You know, when you're driving and you, f- you find yourself slamming on the brakes and then after, you, after that's happened, you look and you see, oh, my God, I almost was in an accident. Thank God I slammed on the brakes when I did. The reason that happened is because you've trained yourself to recognize automatically without ever having to think about it or without even having to put your attention on it, some risk that you mm-hmm. just automatically now respond to. Mm-hmm.
6: You know,
3: or when you, when you find yourself, you know, it's snowy and you find yourself suddenly you're driving really slowly and you're not sure why that happened automatically. It, you didn't mm-hmm. have to think about it and you didn't have to put your int- attention on something, it just happened. So these are all examples of, of metacognition in awareness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
0: So uh, I wanna say something. Um, yeah. I think probably the difficulty in explaining it is because most people's minds uh, don't have the, and that, the equanimity, right? They don't have the either background or temporary equanimity. Um, to notice kind of what's going on there's too much kind of pushing and pulling too much kind of dis- distraction too much sort of friction um, because you're talking about yeah being in that receptive place and like mm-hmm. when i started med- meditating right it wasn't wasn't like that right it was this the struggle okay wait you know it was like wrestling attention to kind of keep it on where you're going you're describing i mean they're much further past that right so it's just mm-hmm. You know, the mind is already functioning much better. You just have to incline the mind with an intention that to look for it. And and it's just even, yeah, just that intention. You can have a sense that, like, it'll, it, it's, it's there. And so, hence, in looking for it, you know, something appears. Yeah. But the key thing what? is that equanimity, right? The fact that it's it, your mind uh, not getting in its own way.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's true, yeah. Happening. So, would most people have experienced this, though, already in their life at some point?
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. and how... Look for, I mean, look very, for examples in real life.
6: Exactly. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to help other people realize that it's not that hard. And I would like to think that everybody's already done it.
3: Yeah. Bird watching might not be an example that will work for the majority of people. No. <laughs> But you know, it's not bad. I mean, like you know, one example that I've heard examples. used. Yeah, one example that, that I've heard that, that actually works for me personally. Uh, you know, when I was in my twenties, I was really into cars. Um, I don't mm-hmm. mean that I was obsessed with cars. I just mean that, like, you know, I wanted to have a nice car, and I was aware of what cars were nice, and I was aware of what new cars were coming on the market and stuff like that. This so was just like you know where I was at at that time in my life, and. Um, So whenever I saw a car that I didn't recognize, I'd look at it. And then there were certain cars that I really liked. And so when I was driving along, and at this point I was living in the Boston area and driving on Route 128 a lot, and so I would see a lot of cars. Whenever I saw a car that was the kind of car that I wanted, I would notice it and and watch it. And that happened automatically. Like it wasn't like I was constantly scanning 128 looking for BMW 325 ISs, right? It was was that, you know i was driving along and a bmw 325 i s would pass me and i'd be like ooh mmm, cool i love it you know and and that was just happening automatically so that's you know if you if you think about that there's probably somebody probably everybody has something like that like maybe it's
7: mm-hmm.
6: you know
3: somebody like andrea might yeah, be into knitting you still needles
6: have, um, motorcycles he still always
3: oh yeah yeah i always notice motorcycles andrea says but yeah so there's
6: <laughs> okay yeah
3: really sad since i don't have one but you know, that goes on um but anyway, yeah. So 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 practically everybody has something like that, and if if you know what their interests are, you can probably even surprise them with it. Like if you know if you have someone in your class who's really into knitting, then you might be talking about you know different kinds of yarn that they'll notice in the yarn store, or some you know you see what I'm saying. It's like there's always something. You're, this is like a natural function of the mind.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's a natural function, but like I think Carry's talking about training oneself to be in that both. Uh, Passive active space where you're very, very alert and awake, um, mm-hmm. conscious, but also you're not, the, the attention's not going anywhere, e- anywhere and everywhere, all over the place, scanning, 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 working a motorcycle, working a motorcycle. It's just there, there's some, yeah, there's some trust, to like, okay, I can just, um, I'm there in my the field of vision, paying attention, but like I'm just kind of relaxing there too, but also I'm alert, it's, it's both. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, like, I think, uh, that's what meditation develops and requires to develop. Yeah,
3: yeah but, I mean, I think, I think most people have some experience in their life that's like that, right? I mean, it's, they don't, it's not in meditation, and it might not be happening every day. It might only happen occasionally. But you can, you can usually find some experience that people can touch in with that helps them to relate to, to, uh, to that mental state, even if they don't have it very often or, or even much at all. They've all everybody's always had it at least you know enough that they were and it's also it's a nice state to be in, so it's memorable
0: well, it's the state that I mean what you're talking about is something where there's enough like passion and interest, yeah, um, and the thing with meditation, of course, is you're trying to to tap into the passion and interest that's not directly tied to like just the object like its it's what is it what is that sense of just actually being fully present, being fully awake I mean that by itself is pleasurable and most people they haven't you know haven't realized that right it's, it's like oh no I'm only passionate and interested if it's about motorcycles right. right anything else you know the breath oh my god it's the most boring thing ever <laughs>
3: yeah
0: yeah
3: yeah I mean if for for people who ride motorcycles or ski you can use uh, the experience of being skiing or being on the motorcycle because there is that, watchful, that aware, watchfulness and awareness. Uh, you know, when you're on a motorcycle and you're riding down the road, you're constantly aware of, of uh, stuff that's going on because you have to be because otherwise you'll die. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, it's like not a safe thing. And you have to have that kind of watchfulness. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, and with skiing, it's the same thing. Like you're, there's constantly an awareness of, of like, you know, what's going on under your feet. This is kind of automatic. And that's, as you're saying, that's, that's why it's, that's why it's a fun activity, right? It's like, it gets you into that place. Anyway. No, yeah. Siri wants to talk to me. <laughs> um, so, uh, by the way, Gilbert, your your microphone is kind of the the audio quality is kind of kind of iffy. Um, I don't know if you have any alternatives, but uh, uh, you might want to switch microphones. Oh. Hmm. Not a big deal. Um, so, uh, anybody else have anything they want to bring up? So,
8: uh, Zolt. Jolt, uh, right, thanks, sorry. That's the second most common guess, though. Yeah. Um, so lately I've been, uh, I'm working mostly in stage five, and four, mostly five. Um, my biggest obstacle for a while now has been sort of over-efforting every part of, um, so not using intentions effectively. Basically, my goal for the last two weeks has been to try to discover what exactly it means to set and hold intentions without constantly rehearsing them like you were were describing earlier um i feel like i kind of got that with uh setting intentions to expand awareness recently so uh, the experience i had was uh i can pretty consistently now just kind of notice that my awareness has faded usually when dullness is there is, is that's my sign and i can just sort of think that i want awareness to be bigger and it becomes clearer uh, it's sort of like magic how fast that happens um, it's It's mostly extrospective awareness that enhances right away like that, uh, and then sort of my energy level goes up and then introspective awareness follows really properly uh, so that's all good I think that's that's the good part of what I discovered the, um The weird part is that I seem to be doing something else when i when I have this intention i uh, so I get this sort of like energetic feeling uh, I get it in my limbs, and if I hold this intention long enough like I just literally like if I go, I make a verbalization, I think like extrospective awareness, and I just kind of repeat that a little bit. I, this energetic sensation starts to come from a part of my spine, and it sort of becomes like exaggerated everywhere until I start twitching a little bit. Um, and I can, I can now do this in day-to-day life kind of at will. Uh, I'm not even convinced that I'm setting an intention to do anything with awareness anymore. I feel like I've found some sort of like energy button that I'm pressing. Uh, it has that effect when I'm sitting, and if I do it subtly enough, um, it seems okay. Like it, it accomplishes my goal, but I, I don't know if I should be playing with this or not because it seems pretty weird.
3: So, I mean, what you're describing is that you've learned how to turn off the filter, really, right? Like all of those sensations are there all of the time, and you're constantly filtering them out because they're not that useful most of the time, right? Like you don't really need to know like the details of what's going on on the surface of your skin when you're walking down the street. So having those details filter in is sort of, you know, potentially not, not the right thing. And so your mind has trained itself to ignore stimuli that are not useful. And uh, what you're, what you're describing is that you've started to learn how to unignore those, those stimuli. And, um, and that is actually um, exactly what you, what you, Need to be doing in a sense to to um, to get rid of subtle dullness um, so so it's not a bad thing um, this uh, you know this this is kind of along the lines of what I was talking about um, earlier with with Jan about the section in chapter eight uh, that talks about uh, the arising of meditative joy and unification and and uh, stuff like that, and this starts to happen. You know, it's not unusual to have this experience towards the end of stage four or the beginning of stage five. So nothing you're describing sounds particularly unusual to me. Um, I wouldn't worry about it unless unless you discover it becoming a problem. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, uh, we've got a fair number of meditators here. Maybe somebody will, will contradict me on this, but, but I, I don't get the sense that it's generally a problem. Uh, it certainly hasn't been a problem for me. Um, I think, you know, just learn your relationship with it and you may find that you can turn it on and off at will, or Mm -hmm. you may find
8: that it's just on, but that's okay. Yeah. I, uh, the reason that I am hesitant at all is that, uh, I thought this was some sort of like PT thing that I was kind of messing around with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've experienced this before using this, um, there's this technique in Brasington's book that he, uh, describes to remove like stuck PT somewhere in the head. Mm -hmm. and the the technique is that you focus attention kind of on your tailbone and you Mm. slowly sweep it up the spine and then Mm. at the top of your head and you do this in maybe one second Mm -hmm. Uh, if I do this technique a few times I get exactly the same sensation in the same spot in my spine uh it comes on really intensely when I do this sweeping thing Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's clear that this is uh this is just some PT thing that I'm doing uh and it seemed like I was doing the exact same thing with uh with this intention and I wasn't sure that's that's, that's
3: yeah no it's What's I mean? What you're what you're describing as an organic arising is something that you were doing artificially before, mm-hmm. essentially. And you know, so so I'm like, perhaps uh, unwisely, uh, I have this I have this this sense that, that part of what we experience as PT is just noise. Um, That we normally filter out and that's just my personal opinion about it. It's not something I'm I'm certainly I don't know if Chula Chuladasa would agree with me about that and it's it's just a theory. It's not like I know that this is the case. It's just my theory about it. So and the reason I have that theory is because there seems to be a correlation between like feeling sensations on the skin and stuff like that and the arising of PT. So um, anyway, yeah, so 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 what so Chuladasa tends to be kind of down on techniques like the one that you described, Lee Brasington suggesting. And the reason is because if you can't feel the PT, if you can't feel the blockages, then whatever they are, there seems to be like some potential for you to screw things up if you just like mess with them without being able to feel them. Um, yeah, but, that's
8: what I was thinking about.
3: Yeah. Right. But now you're in this place where it's arising naturally. It's arising it's a a arising as a consequence of the practice rather than because you're trying to generate it artificially. And that's great because that means now you're starting to experience it directly, uh, in a, in an uncontrived way. And now you can start to relate to it as, as just a phenomenon rather than as something you're trying to produce, you know, a phenomenon that's arising as opposed, as opposed to something you're trying to make arise. Um, so, yeah, so, so I really, I really, you know, and, and this is not to say that Brazington's technique is bad either. You may find Brazington's technique quite useful um, now that you can experience this stuff naturally.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But just be, be aware that, that, that if you start trying to move prana around, move, move energy around, um, and you can't feel the energy, that that's risky. But it sounds like that's not what's going on for you, so I wouldn't worry.
8: Yeah, okay. Thanks, Ted.
3: Yeah, sure. More hands.
6: So I start calling on people.
2: Um, like, how are you I carry something for salt, maybe. Sure. Um, because what I was thinking and what I experienced uh, in the beginning of like pity manifestations is that it could also be like, um, what Daniel Ingram describes uh, in the rising and passing passing away, like a start of that and maybe like, um, upcoming Kundalini experience. Um, which, uh, I also experienced like a while ago. Yeah, very similar. So it could what, do be by,
8: what do you mean by a Kundalini experience?
2: Um, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm not like, I don't know a lot about it, but, um, what it feels like is like, um, it, it comes from a hinduistic tradition i think um but it's the experience of like a shock through your spine um and then for me it was like exploding in my head and uh everything became white i was meditating with my eyes open so uh my vision became white for like 20 minutes or something um and uh this is pretty common apparently for people to have uh I think Kuladasa also has, like, a small part about it in an interlude. Um, And, uh, yeah, you you could read uh, Daniel Ingram's uh, Mastering the Core Teaching of the Buddhas. Um, And then he has, like, a map of insights. And then... Yeah, I've I've actually read that.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. So it's it's in the Arising and Passing Away uh, section.
8: Sure, I'll take a look, yeah.
3: So um, I got a little bit of want to talk body language off of Mike. Was that correct?
5: Uh, I'm gonna try. How's how's my microphone? It's great. It's great. Okay, I'm on the veranda, so there might be some wind coming in. Um, Yeah. So last week I was kind of in and out because uh, I was at the airport, um, and uh, now I'm actually in Brazil here for a little while so I've been uh, uh, traveling I was traveling that day um, and this week I've been here and uh, kind of dealing with the disruption <laughs> that, that comes along with that uh, I go every year so it's not um, that uh, of a shocking experience but generally I'm just uh, I have to figure out a new meditation place it's a it's different it's hot here so that changes things and uh i've been um probably back down to stage one again which i kind of was before just in in, with the past month because a lot of stuff was going on including this trip so um yeah i've been uh just kind of figuring out a good meditation location here um dealing with what comes up in terms of new distractions and things like that and uh yeah so that's that's basically it. i was actually and uh, one thing i want to mention i was, remember a while ago we talked i said oh man if i could just go through the airport without getting triggered that would be great and uh and most of my airport experience was a lot better <laughs> but i think i i didn't have too many obstacles this time until maybe the last uh, connection flight uh, and then I kind of noticed like oh, okay now I'm getting that familiar uh, impatience feeling yeah. happening now uh, it, it was different just to kind of be observing and seeing where where the where the triggers would be during the, the usually irritating airport experience
3: right yeah I mean that's actually the when you get to that point where you start noticing yourself getting irritated that's like a that's a great it's uh, a great result because you know you can work with it then, right you oh i'm irritated, oh okay <laughs>
5: <Right>. <laughs> yeah I, I, I was I'm starting to realize that's one of the uh, easiest emotions for me to recognize right away now yeah. is kind of anger and irritation and I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's because maybe there's more energy involved in that, others or because of, uh it's just one that i've been working on maybe more than other ones, but,
3: um, there's also this tendency
5: I noticed rather recently.
3: Yeah. There's this tendency to notice things that are unpleasant, right? So an anger and irritation are kind of the classic unpleasant things that come up a lot if you're not just feeling angst or something like that. So, um, you know, one of my teachers a, a while ago said, you know, it's funny, nobody ever like goes, you know, when something great happens to them, they don't go why, why? <laughs> right. When something bad happens, they go, why, why? And it's because it's unpleasant. And so, yeah, it's, it's great. When you start to notice, oh, an unpleasant feeling is arising, let me investigate, rather than just kind of having an unpleasant feeling arise and being immersed in it, that's a wonderful result. So keep up the good work. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when
5: I realized that about the, the anger thing, I, I said, okay, I think maybe the next thing I would like to have that uh, awareness of is kind of like fear and uncertainty uncertainty leading to fear which yep. generally kind of creeps up on me yes. uh, without much noticing and then it's just there and all of a sudden i'm yeah planning and worrying and doing this and that and i it just comes really quick so i said okay maybe that's something if if i was if anger is easy or mm-hmm. i was working on it more maybe uh having equanimity with uncertainty or something like that would would be helpful in the future for me as well yeah.
3: Yeah I mean this is where sort sort of learning to notice the vedanas can be helpful because all of the all of the like the unpleasant vedanas can be really useful like like you know as you're saying fear tends to arise kind of more subtly unless it's like you know some sudden shock like you see a snake in the path or something but, but generally it 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 arises in the form of anxiety and so this is negative vedana but it you're not triggering on the negative vedana it's just like creeping up on you and so when you when you learn to trigger on the negative vedana then that can really make a difference. And cause then you, are like, you notice, Oh, I'm feeling anxious. Why is that? And then you, you, you can actually relate to it and, and work with it. So. What's the, this word, uh, Vedna? Oh, vedna. So Vedna, like, like essentially every, uh, every moment of, uh, of sensation, every sensation, uh, this is, this is like the, the, uh, Abhidharma view of 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 how the mind works, right? So every every moment of sensation comes with either a positive Vedna, a, a, a neutral Vedna, or a negative Vedna. A positive Vedna means like there's a feeling of of pleasantness. And a neutral Vedna means it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And a negative Vedna means that it's unpleasant. And so generally speaking, whenever you're having any kind of feeling, there's some kind of Vedna associated with it. And these vednas they they function right they exist to, to like when something feels good we want to do more of it and when something feels bad we want to do less of it, but uh, it gets a little complicated when you get into these like uh, sort of sort of uh, constructs like uh, you know anxiety about some complicated thing, you know you feel the vedna but but the vedna isn't associated with sensation and so it's a lot more subtle. Like when you get pissed off about something, it's usually associated with something happening right here in the present moment. Whereas the anxiety is like, what have I left undone or this thing? How's it going to turn out? It's, it's much more subtle. So, so, uh, but, but the, what they have in common is that negative Vedana, right? And so, so the, the challenge that you face is, is learning rather than noticing the stimulus that produces the sensation that has the negative Vedana, you want to notice, you want to learn to notice the negative Vedana, which is actually hard. I mean, like don't get, disappointed if it doesn't happen this week, but, um, but, uh, it's, it's a good thing to learn how to do.
5: Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to, glad to hear that. I was on the right path. Uh, uh yeah, I'm proactive on that. But yeah, I, I don't have, uh, expectations that it will be, uh, quick and, uh, uh I'm seeing how much more subtle it is. So I can see mm-hmm. that
3: there's, Yeah, there's but path I mean, the process that you're doing right now is exactly what you need to be doing to get to the point where you start noticing the negative Vednas automatically so so you're on the right track there and you know keep up the good work
5: great yeah I'm, and like i said in terms of practice uh, it's like the same thing i mentioned in the past it's just kind of stage one i feel like it's stage one mind-wandering stuff so i won't uh bring that up too much again it's just uh am yeah.
6: If you,
3: if you keep doing the practice after a while, what you'll find is that it becomes less of a problem. Like, like I used to, whenever I would travel, it would blow up my meditation practice. And then, you know, at some point that just stopped happening. I just, the meditation practice became so deeply ingrained that, that I was just automatically finding a a circumstance to meditate in during my travels without really having to put a lot of effort into it. And you'll probably find the same thing happens over time. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, leave the floor open for everyone else now. All right, well, so uh, Kevin and Adele have had their hand up for a while, so let's let you guys go.
9: Hey, guys. Hello, everyone. This is our first time here, so hey, Ted. Thanks so much. Um, maybe I'll just synthesize our talk about travel and our talk about automobiles and incorporate that into my question or comment here. We were recently traveling in Ireland and um, We're renting a car and it was a manual transmission car on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of the car, reminding myself how to do this after years and years and years. And we we were there for about a week and a half. And of course, we were meditating while there. And that was interesting. But one thing I kind of was wondering, what I'm trying to do, I mean, tending to be hanging out in stage four and five is getting a better experiential feel of moving around in the stages as necessary, depending where, where I'm at. And kind of weird, what was weird was I'm wondering Ted and more experienced folks can maybe let me know. I'm when I first was doing TMI, I would read and I'd say, okay, I'm at stage one. And that's like me. And then now I'm in stage three. And then I feel like, Oh, I'm didn't feel like I'm in stage three. You feel like once you climb up to stage three, you stay there. Right, or you know, from sit to sit to sit, or even in one sit, oh, I should be in stage three the whole sit. And kind of my instinct now, I'm wondering, is uh, it's more like having a, a five gear shift car in any given sit, and you're, 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 you're working the clutch and you're starting at stage gear one, and then you're moving up to gear two and three, and then when the road gets a little deeper or shallower or something, then you have to shift up to four or down to two, or sometimes you got to shift from four all the way back down to two, because that's what the road requires, right? Yep. And this analogy started forming in my mind, because I'm trying to find some experiential analogies that help my mind kind of wrap all on to, you know, to better sense what to do on the cushion practice-wise, you know? And I'm wondering whether that's kind of more what it's really like, because I think when I was... Earlier at it, I was feeling like it's static. You know, I'm a stage three person, and I would be upset when I wasn't four days of the seven a week. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I'm realizing now, it's like you're shifting to like like driving a car. You're shifting every time between stoplights as necessary, and sometimes yeah. you're at a stop. <laughs> you know, um, so I'm wondering. I'm real as I'm realizing this. I'm realizing that my sense of the differences from state, particularly three two three four you know maybe isn't as clear as i thought it was and i was reading the book again and i'm realizing okay is there a quick maybe just a total recap of the crystalline distinctions between say stages three and four or two three and four like i'm realizing maybe stage three i didn't realize that the the uh awareness that you're working with is more extra as opposed to maybe four, it's supposed to be getting more intro, and then really intro with five, because then you're doing body scanning. But I guess I was really confused when I was first reading it, and I was blending everything. So is there anything that I'm rambling on about making any sense? Because I'm really feeling like this might be a helpful way to, to look at.
3: Yeah, what you're describing is, is something that I think, you know, it, people tend to start off thinking, oh, I am going to uh, advance through the stages, like, um, like, um, you know, getting little awards or something like, you know, leveling up or something like that. But, but actually, um, what you're really learning is, um, yeah, I agree Gilbert. Um, what you're really, what you're really learning is the process of, um, of noticing where you are and doing the appropriate thing. Um, and so what the stages give you is a guide for, for, for sort of a model of, of like, how to notice where you are. Um, and, you know, so, so when you talk about like stage one, how to notice where you are, well, am I phoning it in or am I being diligent, right? If you're phoning it in, you're in stage one. If you're being diligent, you're not in stage one. Maybe, I don't know what stage you're in, but you're not in stage one, right? So being diligent doesn't mean like going Ugh! It just means that, you know, you know what you're supposed to be doing and you're doing it, whatever that is. Um, You're not just sort of coasting. You're not just being like satisfied. Oh, I'm sitting on the cushion. So I'm meditating. So I'm doing my practice. I'm in stage, whatever. No, you know, that's, that's not stage. And you know, you can be, you can be in stage one when you're, when your practice is at stage seven, right? Like if you, you know, if you sit down and you need to put some effort into the practice and you're not putting any effort in, then then that's, that's really a stage one thing. So um, and then uh, you know, I mean, uh, I would certainly refer you to the book to give you a, a, an accurate description of each of the stages. But, but for me, what's, what tends to be, the, the way I look at it is, so uh, in stage two, um, you're just not really noticing when you're distracted. And so there's a lack of introspective awareness, right? Um, and that results in the distraction. You, you don't even realize that you're distracted and suddenly you're just completely off the topic um and uh in stage 3 you start to notice gross distractions before they carry you away um you know if they carry you away they usually don't carry you away for very long because your introspective awareness is a bit stronger so you notice that you've been carried away before it before it becomes this long thing and then in stage 4 um you you're you're basically Noticing gross distractions uh, when they're happening, you're aware that you're in a gross distraction. You're, in other words, you're not, you're not, um, you're not imagining. You're, I mean, you, you're not just like off thinking about whatever the distraction is. You, you know that you're distracted. You, 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 re- you recognize that there's a thing that you're that you intended to be doing, and then there's what you're doing, and that they're different, and that's a higher degree of introspective awareness.
9: One question I have about the process, maybe I can refine it a little bit, and I think I, I get the sense other folks are kind of working with it too. I think it's probably a standard hurdle to grapple with when we're doing this is you know working with intention, really understanding what that means because like I, I we also read your your recent piece thought that was really great and, and really helpful um, but you know also you know we know Nick is talking about micro intentions and that's a little that's a little confusing too. Yeah, because you can set and release, but then micro intentions feel so like a busier activity, like it's a more constant sort of thing. That seems helpful too.
3: Mm-hmm.
9: And I I was sort of thinking about this whole gear shifting between these stages because that seems to require some intention. And I was also in re- digging really deeply into the book, trying to untangle this concept of we're shifting between. Focused attention on the breath, expanding to awareness skillfully, right? Yep. And perhaps more frequently than I thought originally in my more beginning sense. You know what I'm saying? So yep. I, I guess what I'm trying to get a sense of is wow, I'm realizing, oh, well, the intention, I have to, I'm not having enough more, uh, uh, any, as many intentions of that shifting between narrow focus wider peripheral, and then the blend. So, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, I, I so, guess that Yeah. yeah.
3: So, so um, a couple of things. One is, uh, as your introspective awareness gets better, as you, so this, this won't be happening so much in stage two, but as your introspective awareness gets better, um, you can start to... It's good to have an intention to notice, like, what is actually my problem right now? Like what? What is it that I need to be working on right now? And then uh, that intention is, is kind of like an overall intention that will progress. Like like you might set that intention at the beginning of your practice, and it might be 10 minutes into your practice before that intention actually has any purpose because you just don't have enough data yet, right? You don't really know what it is that's your problem today, okay? And so uh, so once so at some point you'll notice, oh, I'm having a problem. I keep I keep getting distracted by this thing, and then once you once you have that now at this point you're like the fact that you've noticed that is a distraction, right you You have now actually stopped meditating for a minute so that you can think about you can have this this attentional metacognition about your meditation, and that's fine. when you're in stage four, you should be doing this. this is normal. this is not a bad thing because you need to you need to notice right you, and what will happen like so in stage 4 and this this is a theme right you something is happening and you need to notice that it's happening and correct for it and and at first the way you notice that it's happening is that you notice inattention you notice there's this whole like thinking thing that's happening in the attention space and that's all right and then over time it becomes automatic and so you no longer actually have to put your attention on it for the automatic response to happen so so here what i'm talking about is uh, you'll notice that uh, oh, I seem to be meditating in stage three right now. Like you actually have stage four introspective awareness, but your actual result at the moment is more stage three-ish. So, so, um, so wow! I, I need to I need to have a I need to specifically intend to notice gross distractions before they turn to forgetting, right? And so, so here's the process. You you start off. You don't know where you are. You have this recognition that you're, you're kind of in a stage three situation, which means that you're not noticing gross distractions in time to not forget. So, so now you're going to form an intention to notice gross distractions before you forget. And guess what? It's not going to work. <laughs> right? <laughs> the first time you hold that intention, it's not going to work. But when you notice that you forgot, you'll remember, oh, right. I intended to notice. And like this will happen three or four times, and then then you'll actually realize, oh, I'm noticing gross distractions before they turn to forgetting. And then you'll, now you're in stage four. Um, Which doesn't mean you need to do anything differently. It might be fine to just continue doing that for a little bit to get it solid. But then at some point you're gonna be like, oh, okay, I'm in stage four. Now I need to be doing, like now gross distractions are my problem. And now I need to be noticing subtle distractions before they turn into gross distractions instead of noticing. I mean, of course, it's good to notice that I have gross distractions, too. But but let's add this intention to notice subtle distractions um, before they turn into gross distractions. And then you might like do the same thing for 10 minutes where, like, you know, you, you have a gross distraction and you're like oh i have a gross distraction that means i didn't notice the subtle distraction so you you again intend to notice the subtle distraction and that happens a couple more times and then suddenly you realize oh i'm starting to notice the subtle distractions before they turn into gross distractions and now i've dealt with that and then of course you know dullness will come or whatever so so basically it's all about like you know what's happening now what's what's the intention that i need to generate to deal with what's happening now and you just keep cycling through that and over time what will happen is when conditions are good um, these things will just happen automatically, so when you're in stage five, the reason you're in stage five is because all of this stuff is just happening automatically. It's not because like you're doing all of these things, they're just being done, right they're just happening and then um so uh and then you know, when conditions aren't so good, you'll find, oh wow I mean this is why you need to have this intention to have an overall noticing of what's actually going on in the practice because. You know, when, when, when circumstances aren't so good, like if you haven't had enough sleep, you might find yourself in a lower stage than you're used to. And you need to be able to notice that and not continue trying to do stage five practices when you're really in stage three right now. But then when you're in stage five, you want to do stage five practices and not stage three practices. So does this help you to get a sense of the navigational process?
9: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's, it's certainly, yeah. When you start realizing, oh, it's not, I feel like. Each, the different stages of my practice, I, I realized, oh, I thought I knew what I was doing, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I'm realizing, like, oh, that's something, there's a whole lot more to it.
3: Yeah. Um,
9: and apparently this is a never ending process. So. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you talk to Nick, I mean, he's, he's gone back and re, re exercise the stages deliberately. Um, I, I don't actually know how he does that, but, but, um, um, yeah, but yeah. So, and, and, you know, my experience, like, like I, you know, I, I found myself getting you know stage six or seven-ish results, and then found myself having to go back and work on stage three, stage four. I don't usually land in stage three anymore because my introspective awareness is pretty good, but um, but it's it's I, I I can definitely bounce you know stage four, stage five, stage six, stage seven very readily. Um, so, and that's that's totally normal. Um, by the way, about the micro intention thing, your mileage may vary on this. Um, I tried doing his micro intention advice and retreat once and I had the worst retreat that I've ever had. Uh. <laughs> it was so stressful.
9: It was just brutal. I don't know. That's a little reassuring. Thank you. Because yeah. I've i been struggling to understand. I mean, no, I'm not a student of Nick. I just read, mm-hmm. I've been reading his stuff on the Reddit, you know, and trying to make sense of it. And I think it might be great if I can figure it out someday, but. It's nice to hear that it's not just silver, some intuitive thing that is obvious yeah. or presented with the concept because um, yeah. it feels busy to me at this point, but perhaps um, at some point. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm just realizing now that a lot of these concepts take a while to sink in. You know, I feel like yep. it's almost like you almost said these are abstract concepts that we almost have to make real to be tools for us to be able to use on the cushion. Yeah. And I'm just now starting to begin to feel that. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. I'll stop talking, but you welcome. it's great to be here and great to meet everybody.
3: Yeah, thanks for coming. It's great to see you. I, I know I've seen you on a couple of uh, Patreon Q&As, I think, but uh, first time here, so glad to have you. Uh, oh, we've got a hand for Mike. Um,
5: sorry, my internet was cutting out. Uh, did you guys uh, mention at all the, you um, know, in... in, in In answer to his question about the uh, from the practice guide where they're mentioning at the end of each stage uh, when is a good time to uh, start practices related to the following stage Um, Mm
9: -hmm.
0: I
5: believe that someone I know not everyone has the practice guide Uh, somebody put it on the reddit on a reddit post Uh, I found it to be helpful and I just wanted to mention that because uh, we talk about, uh, you know you can go through several stages in, throughout one sit. So um, yep. at the end of each just in case anybody doesn't know, at the end of each chapter he mentions, for example, like uh, if you're at stage, if you're meditating in stage two and you had 15 minutes without mind wandering, but you're still forgetting, then start doing stage three. And if you're at yeah. stage three and you did no mind wandering, you few forgetting, then go on to stage four. So I yep. just wanted to mention that in case that's helpful to anybody.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, that's a good point. And um, one thing to say about those two is that I've, I've had some conversation with Chula Dasa about this since the book came out. And it's a little bit of a frustration for him that he used the term master numerous times in those little sections at the ends of each chapter. Like you have mastered this stage when? Um, and uh, looking back on it, that tends to that tends to give you the sense that it's like leveling up instead of like moving back and forth and i think that he clarified that a bit in the in the uh the meditators the practice guide um so but yeah it's it's uh it's it's you shouldn't feel like you have to be perfect at a particular stage before you start trying the next stage and i think that's what you just said mike yeah, so, that's
5: yeah. basically what I was trying to say. And uh, and the it gives decent instruction I mean decent I mean good instructions to when you can move on to yes. the next stage during it. So uh I don't have the link to someone pasted that on a on a Reddit post um mm-hmm. a while ago. So mm-hmm. if anybody else has that handy and wants to add that in, I, I'm having some trouble with my tablet here. Every time I go to the chat area, my Wi-Fi cuts out. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what's up with that. So I can't do that for you guys, but um, I I would recommend that as well. Hope it helps.
3: Thanks. So uh, Carrie's got her hand up again. No? Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, So does anybody else have something they would like to discuss before the call ends?
6: Um, I was just, um, going to articulate the way I kind of see the stages and then at any given moment I can kind of tell what is preventing me from, but this is probably because I've already been through them, but I can tell what is keeping me from going beyond that and i see that as kind of the bottleneck and that's what defines what stage i'm at and that there are a few bottlenecks that tend to come in predictable orders like being able the forgetting the being able to keep the breath in the awareness if it isn't staying in the awareness at all then that's something that you need to needs to be working well before you can address something else. And so that um, it's kind of like a checklist. And that the first one that isn't working smoothly is the one you should be working on. But also, if you do work on one um, further up for a while, um, the one that you skipped will come back to haunt you kind of stuff and so I kind of I don't I don't like thinking in things of you know what's wrong um, defining things by what's wrong but there is kind of a helpfulness in the stages that way
3: about noticing what to do what,
6: what to do, do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay yeah that's better way yeah. of putting it
3: yeah uh, one other thing about that is that sometimes you'll be really good in stage 4 and then you'll start doing stage five practices, and suddenly your stage four practices will just go to hell. And that's actually because stage five is working. And so it's, you shouldn't be discouraged when that happens. It, you know, it's, it, there's definitely that, that loop that you're describing. Sometimes you actually, it helps to go forward a little bit because it actually makes it more obvious what you need to work on in the previous stage. So that's not a bad thing. Okay. Uh, does anybody else have anything? It's great to see you, Caroline. And Sam, thank you so much for the, the stuff that you said two weeks ago. I, I, I really I really uh, dined out on that with, uh, I, I think I might have mentioned it in my blog and people have been asking questions, so it's been really helpful. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Happy to help.
8: Yep. Cool. Schultz? Yeah, I saw no one else has a question, so I, I figured I'd uh, ask a quick one that I have. Um, You're mentioning the transition between stages can uh, be sort of wonky. When I, uh, so I, I'm trying to look at the starting stage six practices. Um, when I come out of the stage five body scan uh, successfully so that uh, I actually did address dullness and uh, attention is very stable, um, I, I've read and it sort of makes sense to me that once dullness is gone, I should perceive much more activity in the mind but I should see subtle distractions um, much more frequently uh, and they should sort of be all over the place. And it, it might be like, I might perceive this if I forgot what happened just before as, as having regressed to another stage, but it's actually okay. Um, my question is that uh, that's not actually my experience. When I, when I perceive dullness to be gone and uh, awareness is excellent, um, there's almost this like total stillness with very few subtle distractions, um, the only subtle distractions really are like meta thoughts where I'm like, where are the subtle distractions? And that's it. Um, should I should I be weary of moving on to stage six practices when, when I'm not really seeing the subtle distractions like this? Nope. <laughs>
7: okay. Yeah, so my experience is exactly the same as that. Like, um, as uh, soon as I got over subtle dullness, um, it seems like the awareness is much stronger to catch distractions. So it's not a rule that once you get rid of dullness, there's gonna be more distractions. That's, that's just some people's experience, but it, it wasn't my experience, and it sounds like you're similar. So I would, yeah, definitely no, no reservations for going on to stage six if you're experiencing uh, the strong awareness and the lack of distractions. Um, you know, maybe they're just subtle, but that's what stage six
3: is for, so. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, you can always tease out like if 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 it turns out you weren't supposed to be doing stage 6, you'll find out.
8: <laughs>
3: it's not a problem.
8: Okay, thanks guys. Sure. Corey?
10: Hey guys. Hey. Um I was I was wondering if uh those of you who have uh successfully established uh, exclusive attention could could just speak to kind of your own ways of working with intentions to do that? Um, I've been kind of experimenting with, you know, uh, verbalized intentions and kind of, you know, letting off and, you know, the frequency and, and, and using different kind of labels within the verbalized intentions. And just thought I'd put it out there to get some, uh, get some of your thoughts on this.
7: Uh, so that all sounds good to me. Um, with the intentions, uh, it's really kind of you just, I don't think there's a right way to do it. You just, whatever making an intention means to you, and you can latch on to the idea that I'm going to want to do something. I'm going to tell my mind, do this. And if that involves mental talk in the beginning, that's fine. I would, I would expect that to fall away as time goes on naturally Um, and then as as you'll see probably uh, as you keep practicing uh, the intentions will become nonverbal and that you'll have a sense that you can hold like what you want to do in your mind without verbalizing it Um, and it's so for me I noticed that uh, the process of going from having, uh, having to set intentions continuously to, to having that intention be hardwired into the mind and unconsciously and effortlessly, it's a process of uh, renewing that intention enough uh, to just have it happen on its own. So that's something that will just happen over time. You just keep renewing the intention and the mind eventually uh, learns that that specific situation calls for that, uh, you know, intention or like you you lay that initial intention and it will keep propagating. So you'll notice that uh, the longer you go, the less often you have to reintroduce the intention for it to stick so you'll know that you're progressing when you set an intention and it it stays around longer um until you get to the point where you set the initial intention and then your mind is like set on it and you don't have to do much uh directing okay so yeah with the exclusive attention it's not like really something that you have to think about very much it's it's uh it's almost like um it's not hard when you uh when you do the proper uh groundwork for making it happen and it's not something that you have to think about very much it's just something that you tell your mind to do and it does it just like in any other stage uh you've mastered certain things where you tell your mind to do one thing and it does it like in stage if you've mastered stage two your mind has mastered the art of like not not falling asleep and not forgetting i think that's stage two right so um just like in the lower stages the higher stages like you don't have to think about it anymore your mind just does it and it's just a natural result of setting the right intention over time okay answers your question i don't know
10: no all that's very helpful um i think part of the work I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to develop enough kind of discernment to see to what extent is part of my attention shifting to the label within the verbalized intention and away from the the actual sensations of the breath. I'm wondering to what extent can I use the verbalized intentions insofar as they seem useful as a frame through which, you know, the contact with the the breath sensation is, is sustained. Or is there these kind of, you know, micro alterations happening between the the verbalized intention and the breath? And if that's happening, then, you know, I could see it potentially being useful for a while, but figuring out, you know, at what point, at what maybe you guys could just kind of speak to that if you guys have, have thought about this or if you're, if you're, you know, clear about what I'm, what I'm talking about.
7: Yeah. Yeah. It's very familiar for me because, uh, Uh, Yeah, uh, initially the intentions will be, I think, verbal, because most of us are uh, very verbally oriented, uh, because we communicate in language, and if we're going to try to tell our mind to do something, it's probably going to be in a verbal form, so I think that's perfectly natural, and I've heard that from other people, and the fact that you're noticing that your attention is going from the verbalization to the actual sensations, that's a good thing, because that's, uh, that's metacognitive awareness. Your mind is actually aware of what it's doing. So I wouldn't worry about that going on. And I would just keep doing what you're doing, basically. And uh, I think, over time, the verbalizations will become less necessary. But I don't think there's any problem with doing the verbalizations, the, the mental talk. Um,
9: Hey Sam, let me jump in because uh, this fascinates me because I've been kind of struggling with this a bit myself, you know when I'm not there yet obviously, um, but I'm just curious um because w- I, I I'm starting to feel aversion to verbal verbalization on the cushion, right, and yet I don't have an alternative like i I'm at the stage where I'm feeling aversion to the verbalizing, but I'm not sure what else I should what else. You know, I'm not yet to a stage where I know feel like I'm being skillful in doing anything else, so just I know it's probably hard to talk about, but if you're not verbalizing the intention, is it more a, a, a feeling or a sense of the state that you're wanting to be in like you've experienced the constant you've experienced the, the the oh how do I even say it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if it's yeah. not verbal. Are you, are you experiencing, I don't know what other word to use, are you experiencing the memory, the, the mental memory of the state that you want to achieve?
7: Yeah, so I would, yeah. I would describe it similar to, similar to that. Um, when the verbalizations go away, it's almost like um, there's a mental uh, frequency, if you will. That you're trying to tune into. That's how I like to think of these types of things. There's a mental frequency, and your mind remembers that certain frequency that you're trying to, like, resonate at, basically. And sometimes, for me, when it's not verbal, uh, these, uh, the intention can k- kind of almost be in the ter- in uh, in the form of a visualization at times. Um, it'll go. Uh, sometimes the visualization, and then sometimes it'll just be like, I'm remembering the state sort of subconsciously as in the periphery. And that's the, that's the form that an, uh, an intention would take. Um, so I think it might be a little different for everybody, but it's, it's sort of like muscle memory for your mind in that you're, um, once you've experienced the certain state that you're intending to experience, um then you' you can remember that state, and your mind has like a template for that state. Like say you want to you're trying to experience the stage four uh, mastery of stage four. And you have uh, certain periods in practice where you've had a practice period where you meet the criteria of mastering stage four. So your mind will remember that, and that'll be like the template for, what the intention is trying to do, and uh, as you go up h- higher, I think uh, it just it'll, it'll get less and less uh, conceptual, in a way, and it's it's kind of hard to explain uh, these intention things, but I hope that uh, explains it a little better.
9: Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot, buddy. This is it's tough <laughs> to, to, to start get a handle on, but thanks, that helps.
3: So I'd, I'd actually like to interject something about that um, too. I'm not disagreeing with anything that Sam said, because I think he's right. But, um, but one thing to think about with respect to verbalization is um, there's a tendency to see it as bad, um, and you want to let go of that tendency, um, not because it is good or bad, uh, or isn't good or bad, but just because the seeing of it as good or bad is not actually all that skillful. Um, and so uh, what I mean by that is, is rather, than, rather than having a value judgment about the verbalization, just notice its effect um, and, and try, to, try to understand what's happening. Um, my experience with these, which you may or may not resonate with, is that it feels to me, and this is, a, this is as a result of working with this for a while, it feels to me like um, the verbalization is, it, it's a convenient place to hang the thought process on, but it's not actually the thought process the thought process is not happening verbally anyway. The verbalization provides a little like anchor, um, and, and that can be useful, but, uh, but it can be worthwhile when you, when you find yourself being sort of bothered by the verbalization, rather than trying to make the verbalization go away, just look at what's happening and see if you can see that sort of anchoring happening and see if you can see the thing that's being anchored to the verbalization. Um, And uh, I'm not saying that you necessarily will or won't succeed at that at this point, but it's something to play with because uh, I think what you'll find is that at some point you realize, oh yeah, you know, actually I didn't need to verbalize that because I'd actually already had that thought, right? Like, and in fact, sometimes, sometimes the verbalization is historical, right? You've already completed the thought and then like, how long does it take to verbalize a sentence about the thought? A lot longer than it took to think the thought. And so part of your frustration may be that it, that it actually is just um, wasted mental space. But rather than trying to suppress it, just notice what's happening, and then, and then it'll kind of take care of itself. I mean, this stuff, you know, I didn't personally, I didn't actually try to drop verbalizations. I mean, I did it early on, and it, it didn't really seem that useful, and then I just stopped doing that. And then at some point, I just started to notice that the thoughts were happening bare, and that the verbalization wasn't needed anymore, and and it just happened. So so, the more you get into, I think, the more you get in touch with how this process is actually happening, the more likely that is to just happen organically rather than being something that you try to make happen.
4: Um, I want to say something. Uh, I don't get what you mean when, when you say verbalization I, I, I know what verbalization means, but when I intend to do something I don't need I don't feel the need for verbalization at all. There are two problems with uh, well when you're intending to do something in meditation I think because intentions in everyday life you, you can intend to stand up and stand up. you don't need any verbalization for that. Uh, so the problem is for how much effort are you going to put in? And, and do you actually know the state you're trying to get to? Like, for example, in stage three, I was uh, having trouble with uh, checking in because I wasn't really sure what to do. But I don't see how verbalization helps there. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's a problem that you don't know what you're supposed to be, be doing. Yeah, uh, Kevin, are you? Uh, do you agree that you don't know what you're supposed to be doing and that's the problem?
9: No, I think part, when I for me, verbalization is when I check in, suddenly I've got a lot of words going on in my head about what I'm noticing when I'm checking in, which leads to thoughts about whether I'm checking in correctly, which leads to thoughts about whether the checking in is working, and then I'm off to the races. <laughs> you okay. know, and then I realize, oh, I'm off to the races. Yep. Well, but it's all words and I'm thinking man somebody everyone is doing this without the words how do I do that because that would be yeah. awesome because these words are like getting in the way
3: mm-hmm. yeah Kevin you might actually find that when you start noticing the the when you start trying to notice the relationship between the thought and the words that are being verbalized about the thought that that actually short circuits some of that going off to the races bit
9: yeah I really like what you said actually Sam and what you said and what Sam said merged together really. Mm-hmm like, I'll use the word resonates with me, and I'll just be thinking about that. But, you know, I'm a sort of at that kind of threshold. Of, it's good to hear that, because that hopefully short, short cuts some of the wandering the wilderness a little bit. So yeah, cool, thanks.
3: Good. Not that there's anything wrong with the wilderness. Um, OK, so, uh, so we're at the hour and a half mark. Uh, does anybody have any last minute stuff they want to bring up before we close? All right. Um, well, thank you all for coming and it's been great. Um, I hope that I will see many of you again next weekend and have a good week. Thanks. Bye.